Welcome back to another episode of City of Desert. I'm Father David Abernathy. And over these months, we've been reading the Philokalia, and in particular, uh, a volume entitled Writings on Prayer of the Heart. And uh, we are currently reading uh, St. Hezekiah of Jerusalem, his text on sobriety and prayer. And today, Hezekiah offers us two different portraits to consider. Uh, the first is a portrait of one who's experienced in opposition uh, in regards to dealing with thoughts that come upon us from, from demons. So one who is uh, practiced uh, through hard work in the continuous uh, recitation of the Jesus prayer, of being attentive to one's thoughts throughout the course of the day. The second portrait he offers us is uh, of one who is uh, less experienced and uh, how that experience then breeds uh, gr greater control of the passions in, in one's life. And so I think it gives us an interesting opportunity to see in a more concrete fashion uh, the importance of sobriety and the importance of unceasing prayer in one's life. We're beginning today on paragraph 142. And he begins by saying, As it is impossible to cross the expanse of the sea without a large ship, so without calling on Jesus Christ, it is impossible to banish from the soul the suggestion of a wicked thought. So without the grace of God, without the presence of Christ through invoking him directly, it's impossible to engage in this battle, as impossible as it would be to cross uh, an entire ocean in uh, a mere raft, that without uh, the practice of this unceasing prayer, we hobble ourselves in the spiritual life. It's in paragraph 143, though, that Hezekiah begins to, to paint the portrait for us of one who is experienced in this practice. He writes, Opposition usually bars the further progress of thoughts, and the invocation of the name of Jesus Christ banishes them from the heart. As soon as a suggestion is formed in the soul by an image of some physical object, such as a man who has wronged us, or a beautiful woman, or silver and gold, or when thoughts of all these things come to us in turn, it immediately becomes clear that these fantasies were brought to our heart by the spirits of ill will, of lust and avarice. If our mind is experienced, trained and accustomed to protect itself from suggestions that come to us and to see them clearly as by the light of day, the seductive fantasies and beguilements of the demons then, by resistance, contradiction, and prayer to Jesus Christ, it immediately and easily repels the red-hot arrows of the devil. It does not allow passionate fantasies to entice away our thoughts and forbids our thoughts to attach them to the suggested image or to fraternize 
and allow it to multiply or identify with it. For evil deeds follow upon all this as inevitably as night follows day. So a beautiful portrait that one who has become very experienced begins to, to recognize uh, these thoughts as they come to us and the sources of the, the thoughts, lust, avarice, ill will towards others, and not, as he says, to fraternize uh, with them. So not in, in any way to commune with such thoughts, which is always the temptation for us to think that in some way we can linger long with thoughts or fantasies and not be drawn down with them. The wisdom of the fathers teaches us to act as quickly as we can, uh, as it were to cut off the head of the serpent uh, before it enters into the door of, of the heart. And so it's a beautiful portrait that uh, Hezekiah puts for us before us today. In paragraph 144, he presents us with the image of the inexperienced, uh, which is similarly quite beautiful. He writes, if our mind is inexperienced in the practice of watchful sobriety, it immediately attaches itself with predilection to the suggestion which presents itself, whatever it may be, and begins to converse with it, accepting unseemly questions and giving similar answers. Then our thoughts become mingled with the demon's fantasies, which thereby multiply in order to appear even more attractive beautiful and pleasing to the mind they set out to seduce. So there is a definite seduction that takes place here, that the demons or the devil himself knows our vulnerabilities, our patterns of behavior, that gives insight into what is going on in our mind, in our heart, and how it is that we might be seduced. And we can get to a point here, uh, Hezekiah tells us that there's kind of even predilection, that we know these thoughts are coming toward us. We can see them, and yet uh, we can begin to get to a point where we encourage them, foster the rise of them within our hearts. And once this has taken place, once we begin to uh, uh, embrace them, then our fantasies mingle with those of the devil himself. He goes on to say, thereupon our minds find itself in the position of innocent lambs, gazing in some valley among whom a dog suddenly appears. As soon as they see it, the lambs run as, to it as their mother. But this is useless, and they only get defiled by its uncleanness and evil smell. In the same way, through inexperience, our thoughts run to all the fantasies of the demons which appear in our mind and, as I've said, mingle with them as though holding a consultation about the best means for the body to bring into effect what has appeared to them so attractive and delightful under the influence of the demon's suggestion. This is how downfalls of the soul are organized within after which what has matured in the depths of the heart is of necessity brought out to the surface. And so the image he draws is an interesting one, that uh, our thoughts can run out uh, to 
such images and ideas uh, as lambs might run out to a dog thinking that somehow it is their mother. And uh, once they make this mistake, they, they take upon uh, themselves its, its stench. They take upon the smell of the demons thems themselves. And it becomes much more difficult at that point than to distinguish uh, the good from evil within them and amongst their own, amongst their own thoughts. Uh, as the more they intermingle with the, the demon's seduction and seductive thoughts, the greater confusion comes over the mind and the heart. After painting these two images for us, Hezekiah goes on in paragraph 145 to tell us, our mind is something mobile and guileless, easily captivated by fantasies and irresistibly susceptible to evil thoughts, unless it has within it a thought which, as a ruler over passions, constantly deters and curbs it. And so in the spiritual life, Hezekiah tells us, there, there must be an active resistance that is fostered. Uh, we can't approach our thoughts in an apathetic fashion, as if somehow we are impervious uh, to their impact upon us. Uh, nor can we, as we've said so many times before, subject ourselves to uh, images, ideas uh, through various forms of media without expecting to be drawn down by them. There must be an active opposition uh, to the thoughts themselves or anything that would give rise to them, setting aside all apathy and vigorously engaging in the battle. And this is where Hezekiah's thought uh, then turns to the, the nature of the, of the battle and also the hard work of the spiritual life. And I think this is something that often isn't appreciated in the spiritual life, that the monks would speak of this as taking years, decades, uh, even to the end of one's life, uh, to foster, uh, to see that image of experience to begin to emerge, that with anything that is beautiful and anything that is of great worth, it requires hard work. And so in paragraph 146, Hezekiah tells us, Contemplation and knowledge promote and guide a man in strictness of living, for they lift up the heart on high and thus make it despise earthly pleasures and all worldly delights as something utterly worthless. Uh, the tone of this is almost like that of St. Paul within the scripture, that all within the world uh, begins to appear to be like rubbish or refuse, uh, in comparison to the love of Christ. And so from the strictness of this living uh, emerges within the heart a greater desire for the Lord and appreciation for the, the gift of his love. And this realization then leads to an even greater strictness uh, to avoid those things that might pull us away from it. In 147, he writes, and conversely, an attentive life led in Jesus Christ and married to humility is the father of contemplation and knowledge and the origin of divine ascents and wise thoughts. As the divine prophet Isaiah says, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with the wings as eagles. And so this is the image of the attentive life. The, the more that we become focused upon Christ, the more strict we are in our living, the more we become focused upon the things of the kingdom, the more that we yearn for the things of the, the, the kingdom. And so no longer live uh, simply to, to delight our own appetites and desires, but rather to seek the will of the Lord. And it is here that Hezekiah then begins to describe the, the nature of the hard work for us in paragraph 148. He writes, To keep one's soul silent of all thought seems to men too strict and hard a practice. And indeed, it is most difficult and painful. For to confine the incorporeal in a corporeal home and keep it there is most difficult and painfully hard, not only for those who are not initiated into the mysteries of spiritual warfare, but also for those who are experienced in this inner, substantial, inner unsubstantial war. And so it's, it's painfully difficult and hard that Hezekiah holds nothing back from us in telling us that uh, we can't pass through this world without expecting a, a bloody war against sin itself uh, any more than uh, we could be redeemed without the cross. That uh, the cross that comes to us is the, the hardship of, of, this, of this battle that we are called to engage in. And it's even difficult, he admits, for those who have deep experience. He continues by saying, But a man who constantly keeps Jesus Christ our Lord in his breast by ceaseless prayer, who according to the prophet has not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee, neither has desired the woeful day for the sake of the beauty and sweetness of Jesus and pleasure in him. He is not ashamed of his enemies, unclean demons walking around him, but speaks with the enemies in the gate and drives them away by the name of Jesus. There is a tradition among the fathers uh, of, of talking back, as it were, to the demons, uh, to oppose them in a very direct fashion. So not only to pray the, the Jesus prayer unceasingly, and not only to be watchful of these thoughts, but actually to rebuke the, the demons when they come upon us, to reveal that we, we see their presence and reject what they are, are putting before us. And it is this cons conscious rejection that uh, leads us uh, to uh, greater control of them in the end. In paragraph 149, he, he reminds us that in this, this battle, there uh, is an importance of remi reminding ourselves regularly of our own mortality. And this is often something that I found in discussions with others that seems uh, a bit morbid, and at times there's a resistance to embrace it. The remembrance of death, that our, our lives in this world are over in a blink of an eye. And despite the longings and desires of our heart and our appetites and, and desires uh, that are contrary to the will of God, that 
uh, in comparison to that of the eternal life of the kingdom, it is but a flash, um, a moment uh, that is nothing in significance in comparison. And so in paragraph 149, he tells us, when after death the soul soars into the air to the gates of heaven, it will not be ashamed by its enemies even there if it has Christ with it and for it. But then, as now, it will boldly speak with enemies in the gate, so long as it does not grow weary from calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, day and night, till death itself, he will avenge it speedily, according to his true promise, given in the parable of the unjust judge. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, both in this life and after leaving the body. So even if we spend our entire life engaged in this battle, if we are afflicted and constantly surrounded by demons, if these thoughts come upon us night and day, we should have no fear or anxiety about this, that the Lord will come to our aid immediately in that battle now, but most assuredly when we come before him after death. And at this moment, the, the demons will be re, rebuked um, most profoundly and completely. For this reason, in paragraph 155, I'm sorry, in paragraph 150, Hezekiah tells us that we are to have a kind of holy boldness in our Lord, not in our, ourselves, but in Him. He writes, while crossing the mental sea, be bold in Jesus, for he is within you, in your heart, secretly calling to you. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. The Lord thy God will hold thy right hand. If God be for us, who can be against us? God is for us. He who has given rest to the pure in heart and has ordained the most sweet Jesus, the sole pure one, should fill pure hearts with his divinity and dwell in them. Let us never cease to exercise our mind unto godliness according to the divine Paul. And so our, our greatest courage in the battle and our greatest hope in the battle is that God himself uh, remains on the battlefield with us. And we need to have no fear or anxiety, even if we feel the sharp arrows of the demons constantly that we have to engage in, in this battle with a holy boldness, fearing not what would come upon us or the wounds that we might bear or the, the things in this world that we might lose. That to have our Lord is to have everything. That brings us to the end of this episode, and I thank you for joining us once again. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me, and I'll be glad to get back to you as soon as we can or bring up the questions that you Put forward in the next episode. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon and have a great week. Mm -hmm.